Welcome everyone back to the broadcast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I am joined on this fine Friday afternoon by the one, the only, the one and only, the man, the myth, the legend, Tracy Pearson. Tracy, how are you? Keep going. That was my, I just felt good about myself for the first time in my life. Keep going. Okay. Um, uh, more handsome, more machine, handsome. More would ma- you say like dashing handsome? Yeah, sure. More machine now than man twisted and evil. No. Oh, I like that too. Yeah. Pretty cool. Hey, I, I'm, I just have, I've got news and I just have to tell someone. Okay. Tell me. So first, tell off, me in the, first off, tell me in our four listeners. That's right. right that's right from elf. I'm so happy. And I just have to tell someone or whatever. Yeah. Um, I'm in love. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm going to the Super Bowl. Woohoo! Woohoo! I scored myself some tickets. You scored yourself some tickets. Finally, you have to go back to SoFi though. This job pays off. Woohoo! But you have to go back to SoFi. Yeah. Yeah. I'm There's thinking, drawbacks to everything, right? Yeah. I'm thinking it's they're gonna just completely screw up. <laughs> the stadium's just yeah. But you yeah. know what? It's a bucket list item. And when else are you gonna get it? To where you don't have to travel somewhere and go to a Super Bowl in Los Angeles, the Rams playing. Isn't, isn't, um, doesn't paying for parking at SoFi count as like a part of your travel budget for the year? I told you the first time we did it, we actually got the SoFi parking and that was $170. Did I, yeah. I told you this, right? Uh huh. And then when we drove up and it said you could only do it pre, you know, you had to do it online before the game. And then we drive up and the sign says parking 40 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, this one is offsite, way offsite, like at a distant, like the parking lot is in Fresno. Let's put it that way. And the shuttle and everything is $78 altogether. Hey, hey, that's hey, cheap. I cheap, baby. Cheap. Your, your, your expectations have been set properly. Um, it's really sad when I go $78, <laughs> that's a deal. Oh, <laughs> uh, we're in the end times. Uh, we did, are a UCLA. Yeah, okay. we are a UCLA sports podcast, and we talk about UCLA sports. Uh, and there is much sporting news to be had. Uh, Tracy was uh, unavailable; he was trapped under something heavy last week. Um, so you got to hear my dulcet tones on my own. When Harry met uh, Sally, yeah, keep mm-hmm. going. There you go. Uh, and then um, in the in that period, and I don't know if it's related. I would guess it was. Uh, UCLA lost to both Arizona and Arizona State. Uh, rebounded with a win over Ca- over uh, Stanford on Tuesday, uh, but hitting a little bit of a schneid here after uh, after looking very good the previous week with a lot of guys down. Um, I, I'm 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 not entirely like uh, oh we gotta ring the alarm, but um, certainly some things to figure out um, defensively. Uh, what was shocking to me? All right, let's start here. What was shocking to me in listening to Mick Cronin this week is I think he's going a different route and trying to like pump him up right now after really excoriating him uh, <laughs> over the over the weekend um, by like just talking up the offense. But I can't imagine, I cannot imagine in a in a, any universe that he was happy with the defense against Stanford. Um, so I I didn't think their defense was that. I mean, we've seen the whole range of defense. I didn't think it was that horrible at the it very beginning. It was literally, literally, and I, I, I mean this literally, okay. I think their second worst defensive efficiency performance of the year. Right. To begin the game, though, Stanford was hitting some shots. They, they were just hitting shots that weren't 
even high percentage shots. But yeah, the defense wasn't fantastic. I thought you made a great point, and this is what I really want to talk about. Is UCLA better with Miles Johnson and Jalen Clark as opposed to Cody Riley and let's go with uh, Jules Bernard? Yeah. Right now, I, I so here's the thing. We don't know. Like, Clark, how often do you see a guy come back from injury and have a really, really, really good game, his first game back, and then it's and then the lack of rhythm starts to show? I wouldn't be as, like, quick to just insert him in the starting lineup because who knows when it starts to look a little bit rough again. But Miles Johnson over Cody Riley has been uh, the, the the growing story for me over the last three or four games. Uh, and, he's and, been so much better. And you could so I, I bet Nick Cronin might not change a starting lineup, but the minutes could change. Um, and even this past one, they were more even than they had been. Uh, right. You know, Miles played 19 to Cody's 21, but it didn't feel like a regular rotation. It felt like Riley was really underperforming. So miles was inserted to play like the final 10 minutes of the first half. I'd like to see that they're just a regular rotation. Cody's going to get the first four. Then miles gets the next four. Then Cody gets the next four and just do it like that. Um, because I, and honestly, if I were doing it, I know uh, Cody's much more mixed guy and he's seen what he can do in the final four and, and everything like that. Um, but I'd be playing miles more right now. Yeah. And then there's Jalen Clark. And I, you don't have to take Jules Bernard out of the starting lineup. But you could – and he's going to get backup point guard minutes. But you could easily bump up Jalen Clark to, I think, 18 to 20 minutes a game. Um, the difference it makes, it was just so profound. Well, I mean, his, his defense on Harrison Ingram. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was absolutely stunning to watch. This is a guy, I mean, he's a sophomore. He hasn't even played that much. It's just, that's just 100% naturally great defensive ability. To know well, and I think we not understand. to lose your, not to leave your feet, not to go for the head or pump it. I mean, he was, he was fantastic. It's just, we need well, more of that. We, we, uh, people denigrate rightly, I think to an extent, uh, Clark's skill level, but I don't think people acknowledge enough that he has a really good feel. Like he does, like when he passes, it's a pretty good pass. He plays defense with a feel of a guy who has watched a lot of guys doing their moves and knows how to just adjust his body to where they're going to go next. Like he's steps ahead of them because he's got a really good feel for it. He just doesn't have a whole lot of skill offensively. Um, and it's getting there, though. I mean, it's getting better. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a lot better this year than it was last year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, Clark, Clark, Clark's my dude, and I it was it was so good to see him. And and I think you could make a pretty strong argument that he was the difference between this one being another disappointing double overtime loss and a nine point win. Like he was a big part of that. So with you, his defense on Ingram. Usually your write ups. Well, I'm not going to say usually because every one of your write ups I read and I I feel yeah that's that's right yeah yep yep. Oh, mm -hmm. Dave, nailed it, nailed it. I think the one part, I don't think you gave Tiger Campbell enough credit in that Stanford game. I think down down the stretch. Tracy, I damn. watched a little too much of the defense in that first half, man. Yeah, but down the stretch, man, when they needed, he was the guy. He was yeah. the man. Play after play after play. Dude. Yeah, okay, that's all I'm going to say. So I was, I'm just going to say, I was, dude. I was, I was, I was riding my hobby horse a little bit here um, because my thing going into this game was I wanted to see them get back to the super level of defense they were playing the first time they played Stanford. Um, and it wouldn't necessarily result in the same like shocking 43-point um, 
uh, scoring output for Stanford, but I wanted to see real defensive effort. And frankly, I didn't see it. Um, now, I, I, I agree with you that Stanford was hitting some shots that they don't normally hit, but they were also just straight up beating dudes around like not even that well set screens because Cody Riley wouldn't show um, on the uh, on the on the help. And Jaime Hawkins was just getting beat hard off the dribble virtually every time he was taken. Um, and it was just, they were getting layups. I mean, they were getting layups constantly in the first half in addition to tough two-pointers that they were making. Um, so, yeah, Tiger Campbell was essential late. His offense was great. Um, I think the offense for a lot of these dudes was fantastic. Johnny Juzang, like, people are talking up the ball movement from that game, and I agree. I think the ball movement was pretty good. But not enough credit is being given for... Johnny Juzang hit insane shots at his NCAA tournament level in this game. Like, just contested two-pointers. Okay, I'm just going to make a bunch of those. Um, and so I think this is where I think offensive efficiency can be a little bit of a mirage and not necessarily – I mean, it's certainly a goal. You want to be more efficient. You want to pass the ball well. You want to, you know, not turn it over. You want to, you know, hit the glass and everything. But so much of it is dependent on hitting shots. And against teams that scout you pretty well, it's a, it's hitting contested shots, hitting tough shots. And UCLA hit a lot of tough shots in this one. But you can't count on that game after game. And let me tell you, if they give up 1.15 points per possession, um, more often than not down the stretch, they're going to go 500 and uh, be a middle seed. Yeah. Um, there's a lot I want to step back and, and think about. Uh these are all, uh, who, who are the players that, that Mick Cronin has brought in? Eh, you know, Johnny Juzang, Miles Johnson, Jalen Clark. This team is mostly made up of guys that he inherited. And I'm not going not gonna to denigrate our friend Steve Alford, but I'm, I'm just saying most of the time a coach just can't pick up and do well with players that he inherits from the previous coach. They just don't. They just, it just, most of the time, even if you're kind of successful, you're not like final four successful. Um, we can see the personnel and how much it's lacking in so many key areas. Um, did anyone watch Arizona against Washington State last night? Yeah, so that's the thing, is Arizona is a far more athletic Dang! Fast team than UCLA is. It is it is stunning the difference. But we've already seen this team with many of these same parts play at an elite level for an extended period of time, largely predicated on smart offense, slow down tempo, and really good timely defense. They can do that. Like this UCLA team can do that, which is why it's like, well, you're not doing it right now. So could you do it? Because you're gonna like. They're going to, like, they could have lost to Stanford. I, I think we're, we're getting lost in, Johnny Juzang made a tough, bunch of tough shots. If he shot the way he had in, like, I don't know, what game did he shoot poorly recently? Arizona? Long time he ago. He was, like, 6 of 18 <laughs> or something? Yeah. Uh, if he shot like that in this one, UCLA loses. And all we're talking about is, again, the defense. But because they won, the narrative is a little bit different, which is, oh, the offensive efficiency. No, it was still a lot of tough shots. I, I guess what I was saying, you're – Absolutely correct. But what Mick Cronin is doing with this group of players when they're so limited athletically and so not, I mean, look at the guys he's, he's brought in or he's bringing in. Okay. Besides Johnny Juzang, they're all 
they're all going to be athletes. I mean, the athletes that you're going to see next year, <laughs> I mean, I can't even say it without laughing. Um, this good coaching with athletes, I mean, uh, let's just let all the Arizona, let's just let Arizona fans just bask in this because they should. It's a, it, that's a great team. I really like watching them play. Just from the whole athletic, athleticism level that they bring to the court, that's what you're going to be seeing from UCLA in the future with Mick Cronin. Is that along with the excellent coaching? I mean, he, he's, they're, uh, you know, went to the Final Four last year. They have a they have a decent shot of going back again. They're probably a top ten team, top fifteen team conservatively in the country, with a bunch of non athletes. They just are. I mean, Jaime Jaquez, we all love him. He's not a great athlete. Let's just flat out say it. He's he's just not. And it seems like coming back from the ankle, he's slowed down a little. When he's, uh, you know when what? He's Let's just say this. When he's 100%, I would say he's an underrated athlete. I don't think he's great, but I Not think he does athlete. some things that are decent. He can't. Uh, Co Cody Riley is a non-athlete. Like uh, so, so imagine with just a good, a good post player on this team, like a, a decent athlete as a post player. I mean, it's just like we can all get so uh, involved and myopic about the season right in front of us, but just sit back. I mean, competing for a Pac-12 championship, competing for a high seed, uh, just a few years ago, that wasn't even a concept that, that you know, UCLA fans would be able to entertain. Now, uh, thinking about the kind of guys he's going to get and what he can do with them. Dang, I mean... It's, it's just a very exciting, I, I watched Arizona and then I watched UCLA and go, God, I, I, they are so lacking athletically and how, and how much he's getting out of them. It's just a very, very promising thing right now, UCLA basketball. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I think there's a lot of aspects um, of Mick Cronin level defense that we haven't really seen yet. They're doing a lot through like very smart game plans and everything. But um, if you look at what his Cincinnati teams were doing towards the end of his run there in terms of their defense, um, this isn't quite there yet. Like they were elite at um, just field goal percentage defense. Um, and this team just isn't. It's not there yet. Probably won't be there yet with the athletes they have. They just can't contest at that level. Uh, but if so much, I think, is dependent on who they have as their five. Um, because if you've got an athlete there who's who's ready and able to switch when needed, because um, here's the thing, and this is, I mean, maybe a little Cody Riley-centric. Cody Riley is not right, and Mick Cronin kind of uh, danced around the subject, but if you remember Riley towards the end of last year, we were talking about it. Um, his perimeter defense had gotten to the point where it was not, it was not like an eyesore. It was not something that was going to um, completely kill UCLA. He could switch onto the occasional guard or wing and not be completely destroyed um, because he was moving his feet much better than he ever had before. He's not moving his feet laterally at all this year. Um, and I think a huge part of that is probably the knee, probably some discomfort with it. But he's not, he's not moving out there a whole lot other than straight up and down. Um, he's not exploding off the floor. And I know that's a ridiculous thing to say about Cody. But he's not exploding off the floor even to the level that he had previously. Like, he's not jumping for rebounds. 
Um, and I think a huge part of that is has got to be the knee. He's just not – I just don't know if he's fully comfortable with it at this point. But um, the rebounding numbers for him have been shocking. Yeah. Um, and he's not getting off the ground. If you're seeing – like the, the hooks on Stanford, it 100% should have been called on Cody because he's doing that like four times a game on dudes. He's hooking his arm because they're jumping. He can't jump, and so he's trying to hold them down in a subtle way. Um, so that he has a chance for the rebound. But he's trying to use all these old man tricks to make it work. Uh, but simply put, he's not even showing as much athleticism as he showed last year. Yeah. Um, and what that means to me, too, is there's still upside for this season. I, th- I don't think it's too unreasonable to think that Cody Riley could get back to his, you know, his 2021 form. Um, no, no, absolutely. Yeah. I think, and there's a ton of upside just within the the starting group. I mean, Jaime Hawkins' ankles finally feel better. He's going to stop um, letting guys beat him on defense as much as he is right now, and his rebounding numbers will kick tick back up. Um, but there's a lot to be mined here. I mean, if you just get Jules Bernard a little bit out of his mental funk right now, because I think that's what we're looking at, because he's not only offensively he's missing a ton of shots and I think he's letting that infect his defense. He's getting beat baseline a ton. Um, if he just, you know, gets out of this mental funk, hits a few shots and then suddenly he's playing good defense again, that changes things. Like there's a lot that could just very simply switch. Um, but I think going back to the central point at the beginning of this, getting Miles Johnson in there for more minutes right now, I think can only, only benefit the team because he's clicking at the level he was right before the COVID pause again. Um, and I think he's ready to kind of be the guy that everyone is expecting out of Rutgers. And that's that's such, for if you're just being a fan, that's such a rewarding, that's such a satisfying thing to watch. Because I'm going to read into this. Uh, Miles Johnson, let's, I just think, I, he sounds, from everything I've heard publicly and privately, just a fantastic kid. Just an amazing kid. Like, you're proud to be a human. Because he is. I mean, it's that kind of kid. Okay, Bill Walton. First off. <laughs> yeah, but mine's salient what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about some guy in Australia. Look, he's, he's talking about the, uh, the, beautiful, the beautiful bounty of humanity. Let's not All even right? talk about Walton. Um, s- secondly, I think there was a little bit of a shock and awe of joining Mick Cronin's program and experiencing how tough Mick Cronin can be on his players. And, and you could see sometimes early on, it was, I mean, Miles Johnson was just wide-eyed going, wow. I think he's over that hump. It's starting to sink in. He's starting to get things. He's more comfortable. He's understanding that, you know, Mick Cronin will come at him and come at the rest of the players, but they all just take it and roll with it. And that toughens you up. And I think he's starting to get there. And that's really admirable for someone to be able to get through that because, you know, I think a lot of, a lot of players wouldn't be able to do it. And I think he is. Um, and since he's just such a great kid, you like to see, I mean, what, a month ago we were writing and saying, wow, he just, he just can't play right now. He, he just shouldn't be playing. So really, really like uh, rewarding for me personally to see him starting to play well. Yeah, absolutely. And um, his work on the offensive glass against Stanford, which was a really good rebounding team um, coming into that game, uh, it was a game changer. Like Him just constantly – it felt like for a stretch there in the second half that every time UCLA threw up a shot, he was there grabbing it 
And and his hands, I think as he's gotten comfortable, his hands look more like the thing that we saw at the beginning of the year where we were like, oh, man, he's got he's got great hands um, because that first exhibition or whatever, he was grabbing everything. Um, I think as he's gotten more comfortable, he's actually displayed better hands. Um, he's catching things a lot better and a lot cleaner. So, And I'm not going to be completely happy until one of two things, or maybe both. He does the pick and roll, and he rolls off, and they throw him up an alley-oop, and, uh, and he just throws it down. Or he catches it, like, literally on the block where he's catching the ball, and he dunks it instead of lays it in. I need to see him finish with the dunk. Yeah. I'm okay with it. Be no, a be no. a be a softy land it up. It's fine. No, no. I he, because he's going to have to when he can lay it up soft when no one's behind him, but he's had a sh- shot blocked. He's got to go up strong. He's got to try to dunk that ball so he at least draws a foul. Yeah, probably true. Um but yeah, he's been playing uh very very well of late. Uh but yeah, I mean, I think the general uh, consensus from both of us is yeah, they could be playing some better defense. It's not time to um, be too worried about things. This is pretty, like, we've now had three years of Mick Cronin. They always hit sort of a little bit of a doldrum. It's either mid-January, late January, or early February this year. Um, but almost without a doubt, come next week, they're going to be playing pretty high-level basketball, and then they're going to be rounding into form heading into the Pac-12 tournament. It's just, you know, there's a rhythm to these seasons that we're starting to notice now. Um but yeah, so I would say uh, USC tomorrow is a big game. Uh, UCLA is uh, probably going to be favored, I would guess, judging by the Ken Palm numbers, by like two. Huh, really? Yeah, uh, UC- USC's really fallen off. I mean, they've, uh, uh, they almost lost to Pacific, uh, albeit without Isaiah Mobley. Um, but Talking USC about a is trap four- game, damn. Yeah, USC is 4-0 against Mick Cronin. Yeah. How badly you think uh, our oh. boy Mick wants this one? <laughs> oh, I can't even. How? How? Okay. How can't about this? even on, imagine. On a classic one to ten, how tense is Mick Cronin right now? Is his stomach denser than a black hole? I was going for another thing that was probably really tight right now, but you're you're right. I know could, what you're could saying. Could he form? Could he form a diamond with that orifice? <laughs> Hey, Mick, here's a piece of coke. <laughs> I need a diamond for my wife's engagement. Could you just knock that out? I'll buff it up later. Just... Yeah, no, I'll, I'll clean it. I'll clean it's it. It's a piece of just... coal after all. I yeah. mean, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, he wants this one. Uh, and I think, you know, it's an, inter- it's an interesting thing because I think Tommy Lloyd for Arizona, like the unfortunate reality is Sean Miller was like really easy to hate. Like, he was just such a, uh, you know, just kind Did of a yucky looking dude. Did you have a nickname for him? Did... Uh, no. Oh. Uh, just sweaty McSweats a lot? I don't know. Oh. Um, but uh, he he was easy to hate. Uh, Tommy Lloyd's not going to be. Like, he seems like a really likable dude who's a good coach, and it's unfortunate because it's more fun to hate somebody. I think Andy Enfield it can be that guy. He's very hateable. He's kind of a, just a smarmy, you know, I think he was a former investment banker and who doesn't hate investment bankers. Sorry to the investment bankers out there. Um, we don't hate all, you. We don't hate you. We hate the other ones, the ones that you know that you also hate. Yeah. Um, but uh, he also seems to take this rivalry very seriously. Like going back to the beginning of the Steve Alford era, when he was talking crap about tempo, how we're going to be the up-tempo team, not those guys across town. He seems to take this very seriously. So I think for both of these coaches, this game is going to be a huge focus for both of them. I expect to see 
here's my fearless prediction is I expect to see extremely slow tempo. I, I think they're going to try to control, control, control from the sideline and try to make this a game about coaching. Well, it's really interesting because when Mick starts talking about how much he likes Andy Enfield, I mean, I, I got to admit inside, I'm kind of just kind of uh, drying up inside <laughs> because I don't, I mean, out there in the world of recruiting and stuff, I, I mean, I haven't personally heard a lot of great stories about him, um, but I think what I've I heard think, some nasty things about him. Okay, you said it. And um, the thing is about it, I think he's comparing Andy Enfield to Chris Mack because he had Chris Mack and Xavier. And I, oh, and and they, they, they hated each no, other. No, it's not just they. The world hated Chris Mack. Chris Mack yeah. is a bad dude. I mean, everyone knew it. Everyone knew it. So he, yeah, Mick was right in line with everyone else. But come on, it's it's that's their. If y'all don't know, that's a huge rivalry. Uh, Xavier Cincinnati, huge. I, if you go back there and talk to those fans, they'll say, "Oh, it's bigger than UCLA USC." Of course. I mean, it's a big thing, and it's then it's one thing to have the rival coach be a complete ass, that just a bad guy that you really want to hate. So I think Mick's just going, oh, yeah, this guy's better than the devil. <laughs> Pretty much it. But, yeah. yeah, to listen to him say that, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of disturbing, Mick, I got to tell you. We want yeah. you to hate Andy Enfield, if you could, we, we, please. Yeah, that'd be okay. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I, I think there's some real teeth to this rivalry. I think USC getting four straight is obviously a big deal. Um, it, it's going to be very important for US, for UCLA to win this game. For a lot of reasons, but as I wrote today, um, they're not like a complete shoe in to be a. I mean, if if things if the wheels fall off, they're not a shoe in to be a top four seed in the Pac twelve tournament. Hmm. Uh, well, and, all it is is one one uh, Miles Johnson elbow to Isaiah Mobley's mask. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, do you? I, I don't see any problem with getting a technical for that. <laughs> no, wow. that's a horrible thing to say. Horrible ah. thing to say. God, I can't imagine why you would do that. I want. Um, here's the other side of it. I want Isaiah Mobley to be healthy and be playing 100% because I don't want there to be any excuses. Oh wow! Do you yeah, like that better? Purist. What an absolute purist. Uh, yeah, no, I love that. Um, no, I would like I USC to, I, I mean, just... like, I would like USC to like, for no, for no like harmful reason to anybody to be without like five of their players. So you see, like I'm finally blow a team out. Um, but that's just me. Raise I'm, your I'm... hand out there. If you, if you are, if you are a person, a human being that actually believe in your heart, believes that you would like Isaiah Mobley to play. You really would deep down. Who like I don't want to watch competitive game in the actual regular season. I want to see UCLA just blow everyone out like Arizona's doing. I want to I see them. I am so lose. jealous of their non-stressful games that they're having. I, want I have to, to yeah. sit here and watch them go triple overtime against ASU. Meanwhile, Arizona, aside from UCLA and USC, has not played a close game in conference. I, I don't care how many USC players it takes for them to be out. I want the whole team out. Yeah. No, I want UCLA to be playing against their walk-on managers. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so anyway. Excuses? Uh, you don't remember the excuse in three years? No. Just beat the hell out of them. Um, anyway. So UCLA uh, has, uh, you know, I was doing the whole schedule list, and they've got, you know, some tough matchups. I don't think it's any – I think everyone's got about an equally tough stretch here. So I love I think those the stories when you do those stories, by the way. 
Yeah, it's fun. It puts everything in context. You kind of, you're out there just kind of, just floating around in a buoy with no anchor. And, and then, then I'm you, just, I just throw, throw you a lifeline and reel me back in. That's right. That's what nice. I do. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be, I think it's incumbent on UCLA to just play well down the stretch. I think they can probably afford two more losses and still finish in the top four. Realistically, they're not winning the conference. Arizona's going to run away with this thing unless something really ridiculous happens. Um, so now it's just get a, get a, get the buy in the Pac-12 tournament and continue to play for seeding. Don't take any more bad losses. The losses you can afford are probably, and unfortunately, tomorrow against USC and uh, February 24th against Oregon. You're Everything s- else you got to win. You're saying that just from your own personal standpoint because you're going to the Pac-12 tournament and you don't want to have to go out a day early, right? I, I, I swear to God, Tracy just nailed that 100%. I I was like well. looking at it and I'm like, book, I'm, book, I'm doing the Southwest thing, so it doesn't really matter. But I'm booking my flights and I'm just like, I don't want to go out. I don't want to go to Vegas on Wednesday. Let me go out on Thursday morning. Come on. Yeah, there's like uh, eight people in Vegas on Wednesday. Nobody wants to be there on a Wednesday. No. That's just, that's prime degenerate territory. Um, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, that's, I've, I've got a personal interest in them remaining top four. I, I, it's going to be hard for them to drop out of it, but it's definitely on the possibility train if they continue to play defense the way they have the last three games. Now we have to talk rapid fire okay. about some football, Tracy. Fire. Oh, hold on, right. hold on. Oh, uh, oh wait, Chip Kelly's uh, texting me right now about who he's hiring for the defensive coordinator. Uh-huh, okay. uh-huh, uh-huh. I mean, isn't yeah. that what everyone assumes? Yeah, that's what he does. He's got a uh, he's got a neurotransmitter, the kind that Elon Musk installed a bunch of monkeys and um, basically ruined their lives. He tells me everything first. Chip does. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, Chip Kelly hasn't hired a defensive coordinator. Maybe he just won't. What do you think about yeah, that? That's just that's. I don't even want to talk about that. That's just silly when Let's people not post talk about that. that. It's just it's why waste my brain power on. Something well, he's not hiring an this. offensive coordinator, so why not just you know let it ride? Don Pelham. Make it, make, do it again. He's um, going to hire a defensive coordinator. But it's fun to say he it won't. will probably be soon. Okay, with, within two weeks, let's say, because with that defensive coordinator, yeah. um, they're going to have a full complement of coaches, Tracy, with which to recruit the 2023 class, which is going to have, um, at last count, I think you did the numbers. Uh, it's going to have 87 scholarships available. Is that correct? No, is that, did less I, than that. Did I, did I, did I 80, nail it? Oh, 87 available. Yeah, 87 available. Now, that might be too low, I think. <laughs> so what is it, 32 was, or 32 or 33? They can only top out. They can only give out 32. Yeah, they're going to give the max, or they should give the max See, to actually right there, fill out the roster. That's a problem right there because they're Well, it's bad have... roster management. It's the same thing we've said forever. If you have to have a 32-person class, guess what? You screwed up somewhere. Do, do people think we're screaming a lot in this podcast? I don't know. I don't know. It's Friday afternoon. I'm feeling ornery. Okay. I like it. It's ornery Friday. Yeah. Um... Yeah, no, it's a weird... <laughs> there's so many things to say about this because remember chip kelly is going to be the developmental guy that brings in these guys develops them uh, coaches them up and then and yeah he pretty much just pivoted away from that as soon as the transfer portal and i mean you can argue it's opportunity he's being the opportunist he should be he's been i'm pres- not gonna argue that tracy right. one could argue yeah one is um, he's been presented up a better opportunity and that's for UCLA to recruit the transfer portal. Get that 100%. But 
it's going to create problems, ongoing problems. Uh, just like if you, let's just, let's just say you're going to recruit evenly high school and uh, transfer. Let's say you need 30 a pop. So you got to go 15 and 15. You got to get 15 trans and you've got to recruit the high school class to get your 15. And then you're just rolling the dice, 100% rolling the dice that you're going to get 15 transfers. And here's the other thing too, though. There's so many layers of this. Among those transfers, a great deal of them are going to be grad transfers. And after the whole super senior thing is gone, they're going to have less eligibility remaining. One year, let's say. They're going to be, there are a lot of one year guys. That's just what's going to happen. They've been at their place for a long time. They've decided, yeah, I'm not, I'm not making it happen here at Western Iowa State. Great. So you get them for one year. You're going to do that every, let's, you keep doing it at cornerback. You're going to do that every year. You think you're going to go out there and find someone every year that's good enough to play at UCLA that has grades to get in a UCLA grad program and fits the kind of mentality and culture that you want and wants to come to UCLA. A lot of kids from back East don't want to do it. That's, that's just rolling dice. Now <laughs> you can wait, sorry, a sub level of that. You can recruit other guys that aren't one year guys that hold multiple years of eligibility at certain. So I get it. You're going to get bounce back guys. But in a way where people are saying they go off to another school, they look really good, and you just pick and choose who's already played at the college level, who's good, and now they want to transfer in and play for you, like the one-year college uh, grad transfer, you're going to get the guys who didn't make it somewhere, and you are now taking a risk with them. They're a redshirt freshman somewhere, redshirt sophomore. They didn't win a starting position at Michigan State or at Indiana or wherever. And you're, you're taking them because you need multiple year guys and you're taking them and they didn't prove themselves on the college level. There's just so much. And, and how do you build, let's just say offensive line. You need to carry at least 15 offensive uh, scholarship, offensive linemen on in your program, at least you're going to leave it up to the rolling of the dice in the transfer portal that you're going to get enough guys every year. If you only bring in one or two, one or two high schoolers a year, you're going to leave it up to that transfer portal that you're going to bring in two to four transfers every year. And I can say right now, up to this moment, coaches have told me it's been sparse for offensive tackle transfers so far in this transfer portal cycle, especially those who can play at UCLA level, who have grades to get into UCLA. Um, well, how many teams, sparse. how many teams, how many teams have more than two playable tackles? Not many. So if those guys are playable and they're already playing, guess what? They're not going to transfer into your school. It's stupid. Like I, you're, you're making these really nuanced and good arguments and I love them, Tracy. I thank, love you. It's you. fantastic. I love you too, Dave. Um, but the, the fundamental reality is it's all stupid. UCLA can recruit high school level talent 
And if you've got a coaching staff that it will maybe cease recruiting over them through the transfer portal, maybe you'd retain a good percentage of them who come in from high school. And rather than have the Joe Fourier's and the Shaq Evans of the world sitting out a year, guess what? UCLA has always been an attractive transfer destination, particularly for Los Angeles bounce backs. You can get those guys immediately eligible. So you're supercharging the UCLA program simply by having a transfer portal because guys were always transferring into this program. And that's how it Notre should Dame. be used as a That's how it should be used as a supplement, as a supercharger, not as the fundamental basis of your recruiting program. And here's it's an the same way UCLA and Mick Cronin should be recruiting five stars. And here's same an indication approach. how it's shifting to that. Uh, they signed 11 high school prospects in 2022. They have seven transfers. Very likely by the end of spring, that's 11 and 11. That's it's straight up even. Next year. <laughs> The 2023 recruiting cycle, so far they've offered 33 2023 prospects. Same time last year they had offered... Well, they're going to bat 100% on that, right? So they, it's no big deal. They had offered 48. And I can tell you right now, Brandon Huffman, know that guy? That kind of yeah, tall, handsome guy? Yeah, yeah. We went down those 33, and there's maybe two that I would say UCLA's in the top two or three for. Two or three. They're not clearly leading for any of those guys. So... Let's just say they bat at their usual average, one in six. <laughs> it's just, it's, and they're going to have 32 to give. And let, let's just say they get their 11 that they got from this year. 20 transfers, 21 transfers. Yeah. That's not feasible. No. It, the only way it's feasible is if you take 10 good transfers and 10 crappy transfers. That's right. that's the only way. And and honestly, finding 20 guys that that are even decent who can get into UCLA that want to come, I, I don't I don't think it ha- right now, right as of this moment in this recruiting cycle, this transfer cycle, I don't think there have been 20 20 guys. Just 20 guys out there that fit those criteria. No. So, yeah, it's not good. It's pretty bad. But guess what? UCLA basketball is great. And that's all we care about at this moment. you got to admit, you're interested to see, because they're all in on this. It's, uh, this is going to be crazy. Not, not even this cycle as much. If they keep going at this rate, maybe they'll change. They'll look up and they go, ah, you know what? We got to get out there and offer a bunch of 2023 guys. They end up offering 60, 70 guys. And it's kind, found, of, and it's kind found, of a normal cycle for Chip Kelly. That could I found happen. it I found it interesting and intriguing 2 years ago. Now I found it I, I find it all kind of macabre. Um, it's well, just, you know, it can still yeah. be intriguing and it's macabre. Yeah. yeah. Most macabre is, isn't it? Yeah, I guess so. All right, Tracy. Well, I got to go pick up a rug rat from school. You've got a, you know. Wait, one that you own, right? Yeah, one I, that I own. I didn't want yes, you cruising I, I just, with that beard. Yeah, I describe her as a rugrat I own. Um, so, Tracy, you have yourself a wonderful Friday. Everyone out there, you have yourself an amazing weekend. And uh, and we will talk to you again next time. For Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods, Bruin Report Online. And we'll talk to you again next time. Dave, I was genuine when I say I love you. Love you too, buddy. Okay, bye.